All right, good. It, it's it's unfortunate that I didn't capture that uh, minute, ten seconds of content right there. But the benefit of trying to record before the show, as I was just doing there, is that I can make sure everything's working properly. What's well, it's it's fine. I mean, you I I had this recorded on my end, so you can just the beginning can just be me, my responses. But there are no other responses aside from that. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, uh, oh, 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 you mean you mean like last Tuesday? No, 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 no. Oh no. Oh shit. You've killed us all. Oh, oh my god. Oh, uh, I got I gotta assume a new identity. I'll be right back. Yeah, the election episodes are already over. Well, what's the Welcome show about, Misky? <laughs> look, look, okay, okay. You can't fault you can't fault me for that, right? And it's not it's not even one of those typical like Zoom like like oh you're talking all of a sudden I interrupt you. This was fine because it's a Zoom. It's like it's video. We can see each other. So you could have seen the, the exact moment where I opened my mouth and started speaking. So this is your fault. I don't <laughs> stare at you every waking moment of my day. And with that, welcome to episode 25 of Exit Tangent Quarantine Dispatch. This week, we are with three of the world's biggest movie buffs who have never left their mama's basement, even since they were born. They've watched all of their content in movie format since day one, and they have some hot takes on three satire films, only two of which they have seen. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I mean, three of them are ones that I, like... Uh, you know, suggested, but there's like a bunch more that we can talk about, and I have a few. I have a few lists. Yeah. Our first guest is Thelonious Poppycock. Please tell us what you had for breakfast. Uh, what did I have for breakfast? Oh yeah, I had uh, angry hate mail. Found it in my inbox outside. Put it in a bowl. Uh, put some uh, mayonnaise on it, and then just eat it. Oat it. Eaten it. Oughtn't it with uh, some crackers. Next we have... No, uh. <laughs> can you please tell us, what's the last movie you've seen, and what did you think of it? Yeah, the the last uh, movie I saw was uh, Elmo Goes to Grouchland, which is... Uh, That's pretty dope. Yeah, it's a, a niche uh, late 20th century piece, uh, but really just regarded by the experts as one of the, the peak... Uh, film experiences of human creation and last we have table chair would you please talk to us about the use of music in films and why it is no longer needed (laughs) (laughs) Uh, before i get into that topic i just wanted to say that uh being from texas like whenever people would say like oh your mom's basement or whatever like we like we didn't have basements. Yeah. There was like six <laughs> inches of topsoil, and then like from 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 the from the crust to the mantle, just pure fucking like limestone or bedrock or whatever. It was impossible to have basements in Texas. So I, so I, so I, I never understood why people were talking about their mom's basement. Yeah, you uh, privileged Midwestern fucks. Yeah, uh, we had basements. <laughs> exactly. And, and then with that '70s show, it was like, oh, they have a basement, so fancy. Well, well, now it's like, oh, they have a house. So fancy. Uh, anyways, um, music in film. Actually, as is like a quick tangent, there was an actual, there was a class uh, this past spring semester at MIT on uh, sound in, in film. Um, it was like a film seminar. I couldn't take it because I like 
needed to take another class that I it was the the the, the Germany class that I took. But um, it would have been interesting. Nazi Germany. It would it would have been yeah. Uh, well, Vi- the Weimar Republic specifically, but yeah, it would have been interesting to, to to have taken. And I wonder if like one one hot take from that class would have been like music and why it's not needed in in film anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's the fucking thing though. Is that like even silent films had music? Like people are walking around here saying like, oh, silent film master Buster Keaton. But guess what? Buster Keaton was busting his ass to fucking oh. Maple Leaf Rag by Scott Joplin. Like, <laughs> like, like throughout all of time in the history of film, there has been music, with the exception of the first few films like Round Hay Garden Scene and Sneeze. But the thing is that I, I'm part of a new Brilliant. film movement called Dogmatic 2020, and uh, basically it's just no sound and barely any video. Like, most of the pixels are black, it's it's like uh, Chiroscuro, like like the Godfather. You can. <laughs> I, I I don't think you're using Chiroscuro in the in the in the right context, but I know what you mean. I thought you were gonna get into like a whole like it's the, charcuterie. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like the pixels of the video are like randomly like like the video is there, right? You you shot film, but you like the pixels are randomly like turning on and off. I guess. Throughout the entire movie. <laughs> it's a daguerreotype yeah. in moving picture form. <laughs> oh, man. And Joey Tribbiani is all of the characters. <laughs> Sorry, who? <laughs> Friends. <laughs> just, you didn't watch Friends? <laughs> oh, that's his last name? Yeah. Okay. I barely know that. Um, I've also never watched Friends. I don't attend to I see through the bricks to the sea from Anyway, yeah. So I guess I should introduce this stuff since I was I was the one that that does not sound very confident. I want to see you confidently introduce the subject matter of this podcast episode slash radio show. Well, no, I'm show. not going to. I'm not going to stumble my words even more. anyway. <laughs> 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 so for today's show, uh, I wanted uh, all of us to watch some good old satire because uh, it's been a while since I've seen some of these movies. But also because I was interested in you guys' take on comedy, uh, like comedy in the past and with these particular movies that we'll talk about, and then comedy right now since like we're, we had lived through the Trump era and hopefully like we'll enter this new Mm-hmm. boring bland era that is going to be the biden presidency but just the fact that like um there was a certain type of comedy that showed up during the trump era and sort of like looking at it seeing what came out of it and uh, does it hold up you know is it good also with comparisons to some of the stuff in the past so i asked him to watch um like at least two of the three of uh blazing saddles the producers and death of stalin so two of them were done by Mel Brooks, and the last one was done by uh, Armando Iannucci, um, who uh, made uh, the TV show Veep, if you've seen that. <clears throat> so that one came out in 2017, I think. Um, yes. That one was actually uh, made before, um, it finished production before Trump was elected as president. But, you know, I think it does fit in with the current era quite a bit. So I asked him to watch these three, um, but... It might happen so we, that we talk about other movies that came out recently and maybe even before. Like we might even talk about Doctor Strangelove if that happens, or 
some maybe even Borat because Borat Borat Two, um, the sequel, came out a couple of weeks ago. I think um, it's also pretty relevant. And and there's like another you know Jojo Rabbit also came out. I think a year or two ago. Anyway, so that's that was my favorite 3D platformer growing up, Jojo <laughs> Rabbit. Mm-hmm. So so that's uh, essentially like the background to what the show is going to be about. Um, but pretty much it's going to be asking, um, uh, grappling with the central statement that a lot of people make, and that is uh, you couldn't make so-and-so today. Um, and that's pretty much attributed to like the whole, you couldn't make Blazing Saddles today, right? I agree with that statement. Um, you could not make that movie today. <laughs> yeah, so, well, so I guess first off, I want to, bef- before I like start saying words... Um, I want people's like quick, very quick hot takes on that specific statement. Um, like you couldn't make Blazing Saddles today. Um, how about it? That statement. Everyone always talks about that <laughs> statement. Personally, I think that statement is just a silly way of talking about any particular statement. They are all the statement. What? What? What is the whole that statement? We've, oh my god, Misky, we've started the episode. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think that it has some merit. I think that when someone says, uh, you know, you can't make that piece of media today, it usually is reflecting the changes of the modern age. And in the case of Blazing Saddles, it has a lot of themes that have been kind of pushed against by modern, like what we call modern today, society, and that it wouldn't be as loved, and it would probably be actually <laughs> disgusting to a lot of viewers. Yeah, I mean, with... with uh like with Blazing Saddles in particular, I just watched Blazing Saddles for the first time right before the we recorded this episode. And full disclosure, I'm not a movie person as far as like entertainment media goes. Like I'm I'm not really into watching films, so like I probably won't have a lot to of interesting, insightful things to say in this episode. But what I did notice about Blazing Saddles is pretty obvious that the that uh, a lot of the characters use words that would be very unacceptable for people to say in movies now. And it was actually uh, like even controversial then when the movie came out. Like There are a bunch of white people that say the N-word in this film, um, which was not acceptable even in 1974. And, and I was reading about it, like sort of like doing a mad dash to read as much as I could about the film before we started recording. I, I, I noticed that Mel Brooks was like, yeah, if you had done it today, like... They wouldn't have it wouldn't have the N word in it, and then you wouldn't have a movie. And it's like I'm not necessarily sure that that's true. I th- I think that like basically the approach of satire is is different. I guess like like if you wanted to make a satire about something like in the in the year 2020, like you have to sort of like understand the audience and like how to play with their expectations in a way that is tasteful um unless you don't want it to be but even then like even if you're being crass um to some extent you 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 do want you don't want to like cross a line um depending on what kind of person you're you want to watch the movie so so like with with the movie blazing saddles it's like oh like yeah the n-word is like a necessary part of the film or whatever according to mel brooks and so like yeah you wouldn't be able to make that film in that way like in the modern age because it's like not, like nobody would want to do that. Um but like you could probably make like a parody of whatever um you would just have to approach it in a much different way than they decided to at the time. I I, I completely agree that you couldn't make it now, which I, I don't know if that's an entirely good thing. I mean I, I think that there's a lot of 
modern or there are some modern comedians who lament kind of the the trajectory that comedy has been on the last kind of decade or two and what some would perceive as kind of a restriction of what can be described or, or, or what can be used in a comedic sense and and what is off limits and I think that some of those people do have a point uh I mean, I, I know that like, like Dave Chappelle has spoken extensively about it, and, and I, I, I certainly sympathize with uh, with that perspective. And so I think that I know I, I think comedy is in kind of a weird spot, both both in film and in other uh, in other art forms. You know what they say? Like comedy is just tragedy plus time. And so a lot of cases, a lot of these films which have untouchable subjects now. Are laughing at things that were truly tragedy, but by joking around them, they were able to work through them and get over these hurdles of tragedy and the trauma that they induced. Yeah, it's it's why, uh, like, to give an, another Mel Brooks example, it's why Mel Brooks could put on a Bubsley Berkeley musical number about the Spanish Inquisition, um, but probably it would be in poor, it would be like, like, just speculating here, it probably would have been in poor taste to do one about the Holocaust at the same time. But he, yeah. but he did do one on Nazis and Hitler, like a Broadway That's theatrical true. play. Both in like the movie, the original producers, and also an actual Broadway play in two thousand four, and then the subsequent film adaptation of that play, which was garbage, which I also have. Um, I have both versions, but anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. You're referring to the producers, yeah, which we're also going to talk about. Um, and also, like, with Miski's whole point on comedy and time, did want to go on t- into that. But first, Blazing Saddles. Um, so I've heard all of your takes, and pre- pretty much all of them are, uh, well, they're, they're very similar. And those Dog are, shit, they're all bad. <laughs> Derivative. <laughs> they're, they're very similar, and those are a lot of the takes that I've seen, and um, I, like, definitely had when I, like, not when I first watched it, because I was, like, I guess young, I didn't know much about like satire and like how to interpret it but like obviously over time like that's like certainly what i thought but having having uh watched more of these sorts of movies more from mel brooks and more from like i don't know current stuff um at least with me i would agree that yes you can't make blazing saddles today with like obviously with certain caveats the thing is that like when people say this uh they usually be like oh uh you can't make it because it's too controversial uh you can't make it uh you know it wouldn't be accepted by today's sensitive and and coddled audience right it's it's very un-pc not pc enough for today's society that's really bullshit because you take something like south park and each episode of south park is probably even more offensive than blazing saddles could have ever been and people love it so I don't know. I, I, I can't find any complaints of, you know, you couldn't make South Park today because it's still being made. <laughs> it's, it's South Park is still being made. So like all the all the all the complaints that like Blade and couldn't be made today because it was too controversial is extremely ludicrous. Now, as far as like just in general, you couldn't make it today. Yes, you couldn't make it today. And there's like a couple, you know, th- things for that. Um, so I guess I kind of wanted to just like talk a bit about the background. Um, some stuff that I found, you know, through my, you know, perusing the internet, but also some from like the commentary track or the, uh, like a little, like some interviews that I've had in my like Blu-ray edition of the movie. Quick background of movies and TV in general. Um, I'm, I wonder if you guys had ever heard of like the Hayes code or the television code. I have. 
So those two, I guess specifically the Hayes Code is maybe one that people are more familiar with. It was a set of rules um, and like guidelines that filmmakers needed to adhere to in order to make their films to begin with. And a lot of it was very, very strict stuff. Um, a man and a woman couldn't be in bed together. You couldn't show them like having any sexual tension to begin with. Well, you could, but you have to get around it, you know, in some ways. So it kind of made for some interesting, but also like really bizarre scenes in movies. Then they had the television code, which was like done. Uh, there was like very similar guidelines where like stuff for like you, you needed to show a priest and like you needed to be like respectful to priests like in, 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 in this medium, same, same with like cops, uh, like policemen, you couldn't show drinking, like you, all this stuff like that. You couldn't, you know, show people having sex or even anywhere near that. So with that in mind, you know, you, you now had like this influx of like TV Westerns, um, like during the fifties, you probably have heard of a couple, right? Rawhide is like one that I think uh, some people might know. Um, Gunsmoke is another one. What you might not know is that there was like a buttload of westerns at the time it, it's like you can't count them on both hands because there were more than 10 it was probably like around like 50 or 60 um there had to be at least 11 <laughs> there was at least 11 you're probably thinking did i shoot five westerns or six westerns <laughs> are you feeling lucky producer and not only that um these were like there was only a couple channels at the time right because you know you didn't have a lot of networks yet so you with those two channels you had like a ton of westerns and this is all, this is the only like genre of art, I guess, that that people consumed, especially children, right? And they had to adhere to the television code, right? Which was, you know, you 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 couldn't talk about like racism, uh, and if you wanted to show it, you'd have to like kind of pin it all on one very bad egg, like one singular bad egg, bad individual, instead of like I don't know, an entire system at work. Um, you couldn't talk about like you know the Native American genocide. You, you you showed like a cowboy like maybe grappling with 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 a Native American right, an indigenous person. But then like the next scene like him showing the other person compassion and comfort because he's the better man right. He's not a savage. And you know the good guy wore white, the bad guy wore black, like so on and so forth. Like everything was simple. It was the wholesome the wholesome West, right? You know you had a bunch of kids that grew up watching these sorts of um, shows that were family friendly, very wholesome, and also very white. And then in the 70s, all of a sudden came Blazing Saddles and fucked shit up. It not only had like a black character as a protagonist, but it also showed the, you know, the cruelty, the racism, and the hypocrisy of, you know, the Wild West or of the Old West. So it pretty much threw everything that people knew of Westerns out the window. And you could make the argument that it it effectively like killed the western genre because like um i mean you could you know i guess make westerns now but uh the focus away from like things like racism and like genocide you can't you can't uh, you can't focus away from that anymore right because blazing saddles put it up right to your face and through like a a frost uh, like a pie like a frosted iced pie onto it so Question for you. Yeah. Do you think that without Blazing Saddles, we wouldn't have gotten Django Unchained? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> All right, continue. <laughs> anyway, some other stuff behind the movie that might be interesting. Um, so you remember the fart scene of the movie, right? Of course. Yeah, I saw it just an hour ago. 
Yeah, so uh, what you might not know is that Mel Brooks had to, had to actually fight for that specific scene to stay in the movie. With who? With the studio execs. Like, they didn't want to have cowboys, like, farting and burping and making disgusting noises while eating, like, you know, you know beans around a campfire at night. That's really funny because, like, like when you when, when I think about that history, like, I can't help but think about how disgusting it must have been. Exactly, uh, to, like, to exist there. Like, I mean, there, I mean, obviously, with, without being too disgusting, like, how did people like you know wash themselves in certain places um, and deal with like diseases? But, but yeah, so I mean, um, like, they didn't want to taint the image of the perfect cowboy, so they did it so so much so that they <clears throat> wouldn't want any flatulent humor. It's it's funny that they were against the flatulent humor, but they weren't against the f- the fl- fragrant racism. They they were against well, well that they, as well. they were okay. yeah. Um, That's good. The, the the next thing oh, oh real quick um, in the TV version of the movie the sound actually does get edited out of that scene so it's just all silent. <laughs> it, 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 you just see like people getting up and getting down because they're farting, but you wouldn't know it because the sound is edited out. Um, but as Hadrian mentioned right now, right yeah, the studio execs also push back on the fact that. That Mel Brooks wanted a black lead, a, bl- a black male lead. Um, they wanted a white lead, um, but Brooks didn't want that. You know, he wanted, uh, or he wanted a black lead because with that type of character, you couldn't evade the racism and cruelty that's inherent in the West, right? With a white lead, you can, and, and that's because it's been done before so many times. Um, but you can't do that with a black character because if you do that, then the you know obviously you're just like lying to the audience, and they can pick up on this fact. And then, and then there's also like the the ending, right? Which I think uh, I remember Hadrian um, <laughs> mentioned right before we got um, on here talking that uh, was what what, you, what were your words again? I said, "What the fuck is that ending?" <laughs> it was like the most. It was like too many cooks. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and, and like it, and and, and sorry, Misky. <laughs> yeah, and if you just like yeah, like like look at it and and compare it to like the the movie that it. That, that came before it, right, um, all those scenes that came before this particular one, the ending, um, it makes sense because it's, it's it, the, you know, it breaks the fourth wall and all that stuff, you know, it, it shows all the sets in the TV, in, 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 the, in the Warner Bros. lot, and all it does is just to show how artificial all of this Western show garbage people, like, ate up, right? Mm-hmm. And also, like, makes, and, and then obviously it, it's more on the nose with the whole, like, making the sets of the Westerns, to like f- dupe the uh, the bad guys, um, right before like the ending. So yeah, I mean, so w- so when people say that you couldn't make Blazing Saddles today, like they're right because the thing it's parodying is extinct, right? Like the last Western I've seen was like I I don't know, like the Hateful Eight, I guess. But I mean, also uh, Westworld. Yes, but the thing about what the the, but the Westworld is like. It's it's uh I have other things about Westworld um good things but um I I don't know I wouldn't necessarily like what, consider them much. What about the Revenant with Leo <laughs> DiCaprio? Weren't they in they weren't in the West they were in like the North <laughs> but like it was Western time. Like, I, th- I thought they were in like the Rockies somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. And Django Unchained like I mentioned. But the thing is that that's not it it doesn't follow like the the genre um Okay, tropes. what's a Western mean? Then we're getting into the nuance of what a Western is. And is a Western really a, a white bread sort of miraculous protagonist protecting Ridgewood or Wedge Farm or Horse Hay, whatever <laughs> fucking town name you want to come up with from some like black? Damn, Misky, I didn't, wearing. I didn't know you uh, watched so many westerns. <laughs> 
My, so, what I, is it? I grew up high, with high noon, true grit, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, there are uh, true the bad, the good, the bad, and the ugly is kind of old. No, no, I'm saying like those, like like those, like I'm when I'm talking about oh. like like those are the, those are Western films way back. I haven't seen any of those films. I just know that they are westerns. And also, I think that the other point is is that um, it's not necessarily that like westerns don't exist anymore. That nobody just like does a western for a laugh every now and then. But like the the point was that like pre Blazing Saddles, like the western was such a ubiquitous mm-hmm. genre. It was inescapable. Yeah. Every, like like John Wayne was like a household name that everybody knew. Who's that? Uh, he John, <laughs> John Wayne, according to. Uh, one of my favorite punk bands, MDC, is a Nazi. <laughs> He's also a draft dodger, so uh-huh. that's it why was he was. That's that. probably why he he dodged a draft. Uh, don't, don't quote me on that. Uh, you can quote it. me on saying he's a Nazi because it's, it's a direct <laughs> reference. It's a direct reference to a song. But anyway, go on, go on. Hector, you're you're going to be running for governor of Utah one day, and, and they're <laughs> he's going to convert to Mormonism first, and they're going to pull that quote out. I, yeah, I agree with like Hadrian. Like Hadrian was saying, is like right on the money. Like I think I mentioned before, when you do westerns now, like you you have to like face up to like all the you know the the, the racism and a lot of the hypocrisy of the West. I think there was like some of that in like the Hateful Eight, um, with like you know Samuel L. Jackson's character, and um, I forgot the other guy's name towards the end. But um, but anyway, so as far as like people, I don't know, like just people's complaints in and of itself, it kind of goes back to like comedians complaining about like what jokes they can and can't make anymore. And I think I know some of us definitely have had takes about that. I mean, I think Noah was alluding to it a little bit with like Dave Chappelle's uh, stance on it. Uh, but there are certainly comedians out there, Ricky Gervais, that uh, definitely have some pretty stupid, stupid uh, takes. Which don't make sense to me when they're like complaining about safe spaces and like being unable to make certain jokes when they say this on a stage in front of an audience that paid to be there to watch them and listen to this person talk where all of this ends up getting broadcasted for a future release and some comedy special where even more people watch this dumb take, right? It doesn't make sense to me. So like, so these complaints of like, you know, what people can and can't say uh, to me is ludicrous. But when it comes to, like, the people that provide, like, as funding for these sorts of, like, endeavors, right, for, like, these movies, like, studios and studio execs, the things that can kind of determine what can and can't say um, are really, like, powerful institutions or advertisers. Those are the people and things and entities and whatever that do hold the power, in my opinion. There was something that Hadrian showed me. I don't know how long ago. Um, it was an SNL cartoon sketch. Um, ah, Mediopoly. Yeah. Yes. I think it was, I think another name for it was Conspiracy Theory Rock. But yeah, it was Mediopoly is I think another name for it. It was very, it was pretty controversial, um, especially within SNL. I don't know if it was controversial. The thing, or it was controversial well, amongst the people who it was making fun of. Well, and, then, and it, it got pulled from the air. But. Well, it was shown once and then it wasn't shown again, right? And yeah. like, well, the reason why I said controversial was like, Lauren, like Lauren Michaels, you know, head of SNL was not too happy about it. Yeah. So there was that, right? We should probably describe it for the listeners and the other two people on the podcast. What is? Me- yeah, I have no idea what you're talking Mediaopoly about. Mediaopoly is a is a skit that was written by Adam McKay and somebody else. Um, Adam McKay, known for directing The Big Short and Vice, and am I, am, am I, it might have been Tina Fey as well. Uh, Tina Fey? Yeah, I think this predates Tina Fey. I'm not well, sure though. It, it was basically a parody of Schoolhouse Rock, um, where it was just explaining how. Um, 
how all of the media like organizations like um, NBC, CBS, like all of those channels are owned by larger companies. And so like uh, basically because of that, you're like not allowed to like make certain comments or criticize certain things like on television because mm-hmm. like, for example, NBC at the time was owned by General Electric. I'm not sure who they're owned by now. They, they might still be owned by General Electric. I don't know. Um, and, and like all these other various things like, you know, Viacom and CBS were both owned by like other, other things as well. And, and, and so like, you know, they're like, like, and they actually made like specific examples of things like, oh, like there was this oil spill or whatever, but like it, you didn't hear about that on NBC news, uh, because, because like the power companies are, uh, are, have a vested interest in, in making sure that you don't know these sorts of things. It was, it was saying it in a much catchier way than how I'm putting it. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically like. Um, someone, someone higher up in NBC basically like called Lord Michaels and was like, you better fire the people that fucking did this. <laughs> uh, they didn't, but, but it, it never showed on the air again. It is available on YouTube. It's like, my name is a bill and democracy is at stake if you don't vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. And actually, actually, um, that like, like towards the end of the, of the skit, they do actually call out Lord Michaels. It was like, 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 like they were talking about like some, um, I guess like uh, manufactured controversy between Lauren Michaels and somebody else, and it was like, oh, they actually went to the same high school, so like, <laughs> you know they're they're not like 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 it wasn't a real situation, um, but yeah, that was the kind of hmm. that, that that was the skit. What, the reason why I brought it up is just because like it's 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 these things that to me are what really dictates like what can and can't be said, like these like powerful institutions um the u.s military i probably brought up like a long time ago and maybe in some future episode we look into it um like they work only with movies that make them look good um and they also provide like the material and i guess uniforms and vehicles and whatever um they also sometimes have or i mean i think a lot of times have the final say in the final edits of the movies that they're associated with this episode brought to you by the U.S. <laughs> Army. Get in there. <laughs> where? Where specifically? Or just Wherever you want. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so all in all, with with blazing saddles, f- for me, like, yeah, it can be made today, but there obviously need to be a reason for it or something similar to it being made. Where, like, it a transgressive comedy that like is like points it's points it's like uh i guess attacks or whatever at like a particular i don't know genre i guess that definitely i don't know like maybe hides uh some underlying like cruelty uh from like the general public at the time it was westerns right now i don't know is there anything that comes to mind for you guys reality tv yeah i mean that's definitely something that's <laughs> are you really gonna give me a birthday gift on my birthday for my birthday when i got my birthday <laughs> well that's good reality tv in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> yeah loiter squad was the best reality tv show yeah, i mean you could go so far as to argue that reality tv gave us donald trump yeah so, I, mean. <laughs> I i uh would definitely i mean well we might i don't know we maybe maybe might talk about it at the very end when we talk about the current age of satire and the death of Stalin, but I don't know. I feel that's good enough for the Blazing Saddles part. The producers, I, I, all right. I, 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 my, my closing statement on Blazing Saddles is like when, when Gene Wilder was still holding the popcorn, like like on, on the <laughs> set at the end of the movie. I was just like, holy shit! Th- 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 that was like heading into the avant garde almost. I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Well, no, I, anyway. I, I definitely, no, I definitely think like it was avant garde. I, I think it, it, it went, oh, I, know, sure. I think it went Am there. I, I think it went there. People must have been so fucking confused. <laughs> 
my God. Like, um, it's funny because, like, I guess real quick before we get on, I had seen, like, you know, the Austin Powers movies, like, a, a lot, especially because I had, like, gold member. Yeah, baby. I, especially because, like, I had gold member, like, that specific movie. Like, I mean, remember, they watched it a lot. And at the end of that movie, like, the beginning of the movie, there's, like, they're, they're making a production of Austin Powers in the movie. At the very end, they show it at, like, the, um, what's that theater in L.A., the, the famous one? The Chinese theater? Yeah, like they, 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 they show like um like Austin Pussy or something, like the, the movie within like the <laughs> movie, right? And I don't think you could have like had that without like something like Blazing Saddles, right? And then there's also like uh Monty Python Holy Grail. The the ending is like also very similar, like breaking of the fourth wall stuff, but uh, yeah, a lot of absurdist stuff there. And with that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play like the, <laughs> the Holy Grail organ thing <laughs> yeah. to like to transition us into the next part of the podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Okay, so I guess so. None of you had seen the producers, or nope. But I, I still, still haven't. You yeah, still no. haven't. Okay, <laughs> we could just skip that one. No, 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 it's okay. I mean, like, it's uh, like if you guys didn't see it, it's okay. Um, like you already sort of know. It's what, not okay. You, you sort of know what the premise is, but I'll just like say it again. Um, I vaguely know the plot. So, so you you got you got it's basically two characters. You got one uh, Max Bialystak, who's played by Zero Mostel, very amazing, hilarious actor. Um, he's like a hack Broadway producer that ropes in another character called Leopold Bloom, um, a very extremely anxious accountant played by Gene Wilder. I thought Leopold Bloom was a James Joyce character. Yes, uh, he's a protagonist of Ulysses. It's a direct reference to that. Um, anyway, so the plot is just basically these two hatch a scheme where they intentionally created a Broadway flop to write off the business losses and run off with the money. Um, but as it turns out, their play of choice, uh, Springtime for Hitler, ends up being an unexpected success. And so the two end up in prison by the end of the movie because they, you know, did fraud. Um, so that's the movie in a nutshell. Um, as far as some of, like, the things about the movie that I wanted to talk about, I want to bring back Miski's, uh, like, when he was talking about comedy and time. When you were talking about it, you were saying that, like, uh, like comedy was a tragedy plus time, right? It, you know, like it yes. takes a while for people to digest what what's going on, and for comedy to come in and allow people to, um, I don't know, like you know, like understand um, what had just happened. Um, and yeah, it, it's and, it, and it's it's a good uh, way of looking at comedy because when it's done smartly, it can put something unspeakable into understandable imagery. Um, and it can do it through absurdism that like, you know, something, something that Mel Brooks does a lot, but when it's done smartly, it does it without the side effect of shitting on, you know, marginalized groups. But another thing about comedy and time is that comedy like is the quickest to age poorly, which I'm sure you all agree, especially since you all like said, like everybody, society, people like move on and change and culture also changes. So there might be something that ages well, like in Blazing Saddles, the Topics on race, in my opinion, age really well, whereas others like humor around gay characters hasn't aged well. And there's like a few of those um, in Blazing Saddles as well. But I think that's fine because like comedy is the quickest to age poorly. Like sometimes it ends up being problematic in retrospect. And that's just because we we change and some things just don't end up being funny. But that's not to say that like all types of comedy age poorly, because if you've ever seen like a Marx Bros film, those like definitely stand the test of time because of like the slapstick humor and like the witty dialogue. 
uh, and because everyone can relate to it. Whereas like the transgressive comedies of like Mel Brooks are the most susceptible to like wear and tear. Then of course you have something like Blazing Saddles that you know fucking uh, takes the absurdity of racism, shows it off, and throws a pie in its face and gets everyone to laugh at it. So it's tricky. It's it's very tricky, and especially with this movie when it tries to confront the horrors of Hitler and Nazi Party, uh, and tries to put it in some like absurdist format with like a Broadway play, written by you know well in in the movie it's like written by an actual Nazi. So I guess like knowing that I don't know what what do you guys like think? It's basically just like a general general question like can you like make fun of you know, the man that, you know, killed like six million Jews, right? Like, is it like, it is possible, but like, should you do it? And uh, also like, like one of the counter arguments to Mel Brooks making the movie was that there is a lot of usage of like fascist imagery in the movie. There's like a particular scene where the dancing stormtroopers like make a swastika and they like kind of like move around, like like rotate um, while like still in the swastika formation. And it's like a direct reference to like a Lenny Riefenstahl's like use of that particular imagery in her films. I talked about her many episodes ago. She's the Nazi filmmaker. Um, But the criticism is that like replicating the imagery, even if it's done in a cartoony way, isn't good enough or isn't enough to make good satire. So I was like wondering if you agreed with that criticism. I know you haven't seen the producers, but just like in general. I, I have seen that scene. Okay. And... On the nature of any particular image not being allowed to stand outside of the entire work, in terms of its ability to offend, I think that is definitely, in my own head, it's it's, it's dangerous um, because you never know when someone will take your work and, you know, only show the part of it that look, makes you look bad. And so you can imagine something like the producers being really easy for a critic to cancel, <laughs> to use the modern vocabulary. There are examples of satire where it doesn't have to use exact imagery of what it's trying to play on in order for it to, you know, bring humor to a, a serious or, or or scary topic. Yeah, I, I, or like 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 one example for that is like um, the, dic- the 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 Great Dictator, um, like Charlie Chaplin's movie. In that one, they do like they do, the they do swastika they, is a plus sign, right? In- right, right. So, 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 so the Nazi imagery and Hitler himself, or, or what is it, Adolf Hinkler or something like that, is like a similar name, but not exactly. Yeah. So they're alluded to, but they're not like directly referenced. Whereas the targets of this fascist group, the Jews, they are referenced in the movie directly and shown. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. I was gonna say that that is one example of what you were saying. That's a good comparison because the the only difference in the way satire is employed there is how direct the imagery is to the target of its of its humor. And as you begin to get closer to the real horror that that point of humor is, the more traumatic it can be instead of comedy. You know, what if you had a film about making fun of the Nazi party that went so far as to show the actual gory atrocities of of their of their fascism. Well, see, that's where Mel Brooks would agree with you. So in some interviews where he talked about um, like Blazing Saddle, well, actually in, in, in interviews where he's talked about like his philosophy on comedy, I guess, there is a movie called Life is Beautiful. I, I believe that's the name of the movie. It's like a 1997 movie. Um, Sounds like a nice film. Well, so it's like, it's, it, it's, like set, oh, no. it's set in a concentration camp 
And there is like a oh, no. and there's like a scene. Uh, I don't know if it's like towards the end where like um, some of the, like the prisoners like like talking like a mic or like like over the speaker and like like it's like sinking to people I think. Um, but then like the camera like cuts away and goes and like shows off like the setting uh, like the scenery and it shows like a chimney with like smoke like ashes coming out of the chimney while he's like singing and talking like like very happily and then he like mel brooks like like said like like in reference to this scene like he hates the movie he absolutely like despises it because like you you can't like find comedy in a like a fucking concentration camp yeah and in relation to like like blazing saddles right like he uses the n-word a lot but he wouldn't dare entertain the thought of showing like how a black man's lynched Right. Like in his own words, um, it's only funny when he escapes getting sent to the gallows. Right. Yeah. Like when he rides into town, everyone points a gun at him. It's like, oh, okay. Like what's going on here? But then when he like walks up, pulls the sign down and everything's like oddly hunky dory. It's like it's still satire, even though you're on the edge of your seat. Yeah. And then there's also the stuff that came before it where he was actually about to get hanged. Um, But he got saved because, you know, he was made sheriff. So Mel Brooks would definitely agree with you. Um, like not all targets of comedy are created equal, but I, I would like to go back to something I, um, to a point that I made earlier in the episode about, about the, about the Spanish inquisition scene from history of the world part one. Um, basically <laughs> there was a, there's a subtlety that I was, uh, trying to sort of allude to with that, which you've sort of talked about here, which is that like in the Spanish inquisition musical number, he does sort of, he, he sort of depicts like various acts of torture that Torquemada like imposed upon the Jewish people in 1450 or whatever. Um, but he, but, but, but then when it comes to like, when it comes to that sort of, when it comes to the Holocaust, of course, like he's not like, he's not doing that. And he, yeah. and he hates when people do that. Um, right. so, 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 so I do think that, 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 that there is like, you know, there, there are some boundaries that, that, that of course you need to like, that, that people will sort of keep in mind uh, when thinking about these sorts of things. Now to answer the question that you've answered, that you've asked more recently in this episode, I think is similar to the boundary thing that I just mentioned, which is that there is of course the obvious fascist imagery of, of, and, and of various Nazi paraphernalia, like the swastika and the red armband and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but then there is the sort of, uh, bizarre tendency of the alt right to co-opt various things as fascist symbols, which which makes this topic a lot more complicated. Um, because you know you can say like, oh, like the swastika is obviously Nazism, but before that, like you know, <laughs> like 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 the most like uh, pedantic like bad people like to bring this up all the time. Um, but the swastika was originally like a Hindu symbol for something or other before it was co-opted by the Nazis. And similarly, like the alt-right has, has tried to do similar, did a similar thing with Pepe the frog. Um, and also with like the okay emoji and like various, and like baby speak as we were talking about on the podcast, like way back when and during the beginning of the show. So there's kind of a thing here. It's like my supposition on this particular thing is that, there are some symbols which sort of transcend into this level of immense power that that represents a lot of the trauma that, that Miski was mentioning earlier for a lot of people, where it no longer becomes acceptable to it, not necessarily that it no longer becomes acceptable, but the the threshold to 
making light of uh, depictions of this, which involve these symbols or these acts, becomes a lot higher than it would be for things where it's just like, oh, like the alt-right is just going to take whatever whatever thing that they think is, you know, just to confuse people, they'll, they'll take some random emoji and turn it into a symbol for the alt-right. Like that's just them being the whatever bullshit. But until like Pepe the Frog, like as actually like, um, like, like be, becomes like at the level of the swastika or whatever, like th- th- there has to be some kind of, um, or there's substantially more leeway for people to go ahead and, and like use those things to try to make fun of the alt-right. Cause I think it's, cause I think it's funny that like the alt-right like does this, um, because it's like all these like bizarre, like innocuous things or whatever, like are, are being sort of supplanted in these ways that are not subtle at all. Like people figure that shit out within like a couple of days, what they're doing. And they're like, that's stupid. Um, but, but, it, but, you know, if any of those like gain any particular kind of traction, like the Hawaiian shirts of the Boogaloo boys or whatever, like sure as hell, I'm not going to be wearing any Hawaiian shirts. Yeah. Like if it like became extreme to a point where like Hawaiian shirt guys started like gunning people down on the streets, I think that people would stop buying Hawaiian shirts or at least I hope they would. Haven't they already been doing that though? I, I haven't been I, paying attention. I mean, I think more less people pay attention to this than you think. Yeah, I mean, I, I no, but that's what I'm saying. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, is that like people don't really know who the Boogaloo Boys are? People don't know that the OK sign is that it was a Richard Spencer it's, thing. It's funny because I I am the kind of person who would occasionally use that like uh, the OK sign, and I didn't even know about that, and then I heard about it. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was like it was like it was like when you, when you said Karen would be a nice name for a child. Yeah, okay. I don't want to get into the whole story. Here. No, you already told it on the podcast. Oh, okay. So previous episode, watch it. So listen to it. Hadrian is and I are on the same wavelength here, um, like almost to the T. Because like it, yeah, it brings up the question, right? So where does satire cross the line of being like a transgressive art form that challenges like these harmful stereotypes, these harmful things that people came up with? to being too subtle and then having people miss the point. To, for me, in my opinion, there like isn't one. There isn't a line. Like No matter how careful you are, people are going to misinterpret what you're trying to show. And in the worst case, which is what Hadrian brought up, the text gets appropriated by the very people you're, they're, you know, you're, you're ridiculing. Best example is you, you, you take the movie American History X, right? It's like a huge, like well, I wouldn't say like a huge takedown of neo-Nazis, but like that's, that was the intent. But neo-nazis use that movie for like their own propaganda purposes so how do you how how can you get around this how can you get around like people like either like uh, appropriating like your stuff for purposes that you didn't intend i think the producers had the answer like springtime for hitler is a play that praises hitler and the nazi party but do you see any neo-nazis appropriating the play are we supposed to answer? Well, it was a rhetorical question, but no. <laughs> no, I, don't. I, I, think, <laughs> I think they don't appropriate the play because, one, it's in a movie, and two, because it's not necessarily glorifying. I don't uh, I don't really think that's because it's in the movie. Like I said, American History X, they glorify the shit out of that. Well, no, like Springtime um, for Hitler, right? It's a Broadway musical. It's, it's a, a musical. Well, it's a, the musical is a plot element inside of a movie. Yeah, but it's also like a Broadway play that was done. Okay, yeah, and that plot element within the movie... It doesn't necessarily glorify, but it pra- no, it praises Hitler. It praises Hitler and the Nazis. So why wouldn't I, they? Why know. wouldn't they? Uh, why, well, I mean, that's, I, I'm trying to get you to answer it. Why wouldn't they use that? It doesn't. I, I, I guess I don't know. I'm not. I don't have the head of a what? Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because it, it just like lends more credence to like Mel Brooks's notion that like 
putting the absurdism of like fascist like imagery and theatricality at the forefront does in fact rob the Nazis and robs Hitler of like their power of like their whole like mythos that people mm. made after. Like you don't see neo-Nazis like fucking doing springtime for Hitler like because they know it's like it makes fun of them. And that's like what you do. That's like what you, you're supposed to do. It's like n- the the, mm. the point of the movie and, and of the of the play. It's like not supposed to like make fun of Hitler for Hitler's sake, right? Because the thing is that like the other thing about the movie you might have not have known is that studio execs push back on the fact that they like Mel Brooks wanted Hitler. Um, they asked for him to do springtime for Mussolini instead. Um, and it's obviously because doing so would allow them to poke fun at fascism without getting their hands a little dirty with Hitler. So the point of the movie wasn't like just to do it because it was Hitler, but it was just to highlight like the absurdity of all this like ethno-nationalist like imagery. I get your point. And you have to like you have to like push it. You have to like push it to the extreme. Because if, if you if you if you if you like um if you lay like, back a bit. Right. If you lay back a bit, like one, you know, people are gonna be upset. That one you laid back a bit, but people might like appropriate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder what the equivalent betrayal would be in today's age because it's certainly not Stephen Colbert rubbing chili on his leg. Um, <laughs> well, right. Well, so so you brought up a good, like a good example of like you know, so like like Stephen Colbert, um, like from the Colbert Report, like his character and um, well, this is like a this is a more recent thing that i'm referencing oh 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 i thought you meant like the colbert report um no sorry. this this was like this was like he was talking about uh info wars or whatever and he was doing mm. a parody and then he just started smearing chili on his leg for some fucking reason what was his <laughs> fake name for info wars i don't know thought, like, thought fights or something yeah, yeah. Uh, thought skirmish i don't he, he was doing a parody of alex jones yeah. yeah and he was he was very good at it except yeah but what, <laughs> what was the chill like like i don't know like he's just dumb conspiracy stuff I, well, I know what I'm saying. What was the chili part? I just don't remember. And in any case, like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What are we talking about? <laughs> well, the, the 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 biggest takeaway from this, I guess, to like end this whole thing is like just the big question: Does this movie, the producers, like, if you've never seen the movie, I would suggest you high, like highly recommend you watch it. Well, um, someone who has other hosts, if, if, well, of the show. other other hosts of the show on your own time. Um, does this movie like rob Nazis of the power? Or does it rob Hitler of the power? Yes. Like, does it? Does it? Or does it impel the audience to not take a serious issue seriously? I think it's a little bit of both. Obviously, I lean towards the first one, but I, I, you know, it, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, Hitler but, um, was already defeated when the movie came out, so yeah, you know, yeah. it wasn't as serious of an issue in 1967 as it was in 1943. You know. Yeah. Well, that'll lead us to our. F- ending of the show um i know there's some <laughs> so i asked yeah i asked you guys to watch the death of stalin because um wait i guess quick cut like which we did okay okay all right all right yeah um one because i think it's hilarious um but two uh, and more importantly, because um, I think it's a good like vehicle to talk about comedy at the moment right now. Um, so like I know I know you've all. Well, I'm sure you've definitely seen Borat too. Um, and I have not seen Borat I too, but Misky has. I have. Okay, um, but you've seen the have you seen the original Borat? No. no. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Well. Okay. Um, Very nice, <laughs> my wife. Uh, not it's the only thing um, I know from that movie. <laughs> Literally the only. Okay, thing. all right. So, 
Um, yeah, like, yeah, like, okay, Borat 2 came out recently. Um, there's also, like, Georgia Rabbit as for, like, a, I don't know, a whole Nazi stuff, but... Georgia Rabbit is, a uh, Georgia Mortar's cousin. Oh, my God. Um, the jokes just keep flying at my face. Uh, <laughs> but... What's the opposite of a joke? <laughs> An anti-joke. <laughs> oh, my, is that another anti-joke? Um, so, uh, yeah, so I asked you guys to watch this installment because I, I mostly just wanted your thoughts on what you thought comedy was during the Trump era, like that would have been changed. So what do you think comedy is in the Trump era? Because, you know, if Trump was still president, but, uh, he is still well, president guess, until January. Right. Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, going into this new era of whatever the fuck the Biden president is going to be, um, it's going to be a lot of, you know, bland stuff, SNL type humor. SNL is irrelevant. So it's fine. Yeah. But, the, but, the, but, the, but, you know, the Trump era did offer like some stuff and, Obviously, in the in the future, maybe in the near future, we might see more representations of this era, maybe in comedies, which I'm hoping for. So I'm wondering, like, one, what you all thought of this movie, uh, and maybe like, what are your takes on it? On maybe even like relation to like now, the current era, and also, um, you know, probably asking a lot, but like, what do you think comedy is going to look like in the near future? Maybe even you know, it's more specifically satire. I'm not. I'm not looking into like fucking Judd Apatow type humor. That that stuff bores me. But like just straight up satire. Where does satire go now? And where where was it during the Trump administration? Yeah, I mean, like, um, like before the Trump administration, like you you did have satire, but um, most of it was like like towards like I don't know, like a Bush era politics or Bush Bush era like events, things, happenings. What do you What do you mean? I mean, there was plenty of satire towards Trump's administration. Was it really I, I, like like I guess it depends on what you mean by satire because like some of it was just like Alec Baldwin going on TV and saying hamburgers, cafefe, everyone laugh like that's not really satire because yeah I, yeah I one hundred percent agree with Hadrian because like that's like um, also just like as a quick thing like the the last SNL thing the one the SNL episode the one that had a uh, Dave Chappelle on. Um, he didn't help the the show at all. It was actually not good. The very ending, Alec Baldwin had like a sign that said "You're welcome." Is this because Trump is hard to let to to create satire for? Um, that's partly the case, but I don't think it's like impossible. Um, you can all definitely right, like, go. Oh my god! <laughs> like you, do it like right you can now. you can definitely do it. But the problem is that the the problem that some satire has, and there was um, I'm blanking on his name. Um, I'm gonna try to find it real quick. Sorry, because because um, I like really like him a lot, Chris Morris. Um, oh shit! Um, fun fact: uh, the the show that I was actually gonna reference, the day today, which was like from the '90s, was made by Chris Morris and Armando Iannucci, um, who, who made uh, that's a Stalin and Veep. So that's actually a pretty cool coincidence. But the reason I was going to bring that up is because Chris Morris, the other, I guess, co-creator of that show, I like him a lot. He's done a lot of like good satires, in my opinion. But he well, there was a good interview that he had where he was talking about satire in relation to like the Trump era. And he also he mentioned that like with satire, obviously, like at least for him, obviously satire needs intent. But for him, like it's it's definitely like you know going to be like political, and it needs to definitely skewer the person that you're trying to skewer. It can't be something where like you presented and you have the people in like the what is it called the ballast or the not the ballast but like the balcony the balconies or whatever like the the whole like fat cats and stuff and they're like laughing you know at what you're doing and that's like not the response you want you want you you want the lat you want the fat cats to like self-evaluate yeah you want stephen colbert at the white house correspondence dinner yeah you want to skewer these people you want to show everyone like these people are like 
horrible people with horrible values. If your target is just unabashedly confident and doesn't like care about what anyone says about them because they are so self-absorbed, how can you skewer someone who is that inhuman? Vote them out. Oh, oh my God. Wait, wait, wait. No, I mean, you bring up a good point. You bring up a good point. But I mean, you also ended that with like someone who is that inhuman. And like, I don't think someone like Trump is like as far as like monsters that he is in and he's some of the stuff that a he is. Lizard person. Um, like he, <laughs> like all of them. He is definitely uh, very touchy, or like in, in the sense that like things do sensitive. Yes, yeah, sensitive. He things do get to him, and you can fucking tell by like his tweets if you. If That's you see true. That. So so he is human. Unfortunately, to answer your question, like yeah, I think it's like very possible to skewer and like do good satire of like someone like Trump. But it is hard mostly because, like, a lot of the stuff that he does is, like, Noah brought up a good point earlier. Like, he, had, he was involved in reality TV, like, long, like long ago. We probably even grew up watching him on the, on the Celebrity Apprentice, right? He played, like, a caricature of himself. And that caricature went on to become president. Um, of what? Of, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 oh, my God. Of the United States. Um, oh, so wow! So like the connection with like you know with with reality TV with like alternative facts and reality and caricatures and self parodies like all those things layered on top of each other like culminate into like this person that like is very hard to you know make fun of right or at least like properly satire. So that's what I was like I guess like wondering like well obviously one hopefully is going to be gone soon. Um, but even then, so like you have something like the death of Stalin. It was made before Trump, but there was a lot of uh, characters that um, you can make several analogies to, I guess, real life people if you want. But the overall like interactions are, I guess, for me, what more important um, between people and Stalin. Between people and Stalin or between the other people vying for power? But yeah, well, yeah, between the people vying for power and, and, and Stalin um, pre and after his death. And interestingly enough, like now that Trump like is going to be gone, like how that's also going to work here with like I don't know, current top brass of the GOP, um, or I guess his inner circle. So I guess you know, what are your thoughts? Um, I guess in general, like on the death of Stalin. I mean, I, I have some some thoughts on on what you were just saying about Trump, which I'm going to try to connect to death of Stalin. Okay. So I have really been disappointed in comedy over the last four years. <laughs> I think I, I know I can't stay. I I I didn't like late night to begin with. I wasn't like that kind of a person anyway, so I was already biased against it. But I think that late night has. I know I I find no enjoyment in it nowadays, uh, with all of like the Trump centric, you know, quote unquote humor, and what like bothers me especially about it is that I get the feeling that a lot of those shows do it because they feel like I know like like, like to make themselves feel better. Or to be like, oh, like the world's terrible, but like look at us, like parodying this like important person, so you all can see how like, how noble we are. Punching down almost. Yeah, it 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 feels I don't know. It it feels almost kind of kind of selfish. And the fact of the matter is that I think it obscures a lot of the horror of the reality of the situation, and that joking around about Trump, you miss a lot of the really sinister stuff that's going on behind the scenes. And especially when you pin it all on Trump, you're undermining or you're, you're, you're undermining the ability that you have to criticize all of the other people who are involved. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just Trump. It's and, like Betsy DeVos. Yeah. Like, like, like there, yeah. There are, there are countless people who are involved 
and not naming them and not mm. and not identifying them, you know, whether it's through comedy or what have you, is is, is irresponsible if you if you're in that position of power. So so that's what's really bothered me about the last couple of years. And I felt almost similarly to uh, to Death of Stalin. I found it really funny. I mean, I, I I did enjoy the movie, but I also think that it went to great lengths. I think to be like farcical and kind of like ridiculous, and there were some really good comedic beats, and I think it was well done. But like like the extent to which it kind of made things like 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 take um was it like like Bresnia like like walking. Like through like you hear like gunshots ringing of people being like long live Stalin boom bang, it's like like like, th- like those types of things happen not like literally of him just like walking through like he probably wasn't like standing there watching people get shot, but like I know I th- I think it really underplays the the lack of seriousness with which people you know signed their name and thousands died, and I don't know if it's possible to capture that in comedy, I don't know I I. I it, it, it kind of missed something for me, but I can't exactly put my finger on it. So, so I okay. So, so I had something written down that I kind I, I skipped over when I was talking about the producers because um, I didn't know if I was gonna have enough time. But that was basically what I had written down. So, so it was it was what I had written down was 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 a little like brief history about like you know on the representation of like Nazis in media in general because like you you had something like um, which you might have heard before the banality of evil. Which was a report that um, Hannah Arendt, if I, hopefully I pronounce that correctly, um, she reported on Adolf Eichmann's trial in Jerusalem for the New Yorker, and um, it's just you know she she was like talking about how you can, you don't have to be a monster to do monstrous things. You can just be a very I don't know bland banal person. People um, judge <laughs> like. <laughs> So 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 prior to this, you had like, or like you know, you had media that like showed like the you know the U.S. like being like all gung ho about the World War II and all this stuff, and then you had the Holocaust come out and all the atrocities after that, and or like they came out of it and all these revelations, and it put a damper on America's sense of glory towards World War II. In a nutshell, the Holocaust depressed them. Um, so what was the response that the Americans had in media? Well. They shrugged off the whole banality aspect and instead tried to paint like all of these perpetrators as inhuman, like almost like goofy caricatures of themselves. And so you see this with like when you tr- when they tried to like join the supernatural and the occult with the Nazis, so like in Raiders of the Lost Ark or in Captain America's like enemy, the you know the Red Skull and Hydra. So essentially, I mean, yeah, I agree with you, um, uh, Noah, uh, in that. <laughs> Um, there are definitely like instances like even in, in even in Death of Stalin, but also like in some other movies where there are like uh, either atrocities that occur in the movie or maybe even alluded to that in, in comedies, I guess, and since we're, that's what we're talking about, that are shrugged off and they're not like highlighted. And and the thing is that when you do that, the audience is also going to react the same way. They're going to shrug it off and kind of just brush it aside and focus more on. Some of the other parts of the movie that were that you know, are funny, so yeah, there is there obviously is a balance to kind of straddle. But then again, if you want to do it the right way, like this really isn't, in my opinion, this really isn't the way to go. But uh, real quick, overall, I think the movie is really good and really funny. But anyway, uh, what are you guys' other thoughts? I agree that the scene in which the large mass of people were shot while they tried to enter Moscow 
seemed kind of unnecessary. Um, I get the point, but it was also a moment where it was like, oh, this is just like tragedy for anyone who's grown up in the Eastern Bloc and is watching this. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily, the comedy doesn't spring forth from it. You know, maybe in 20 years, if you change the scenery and like the way they talk about it and the way the soldiers and the people act, like maybe. But there are a few moments in the film where it's just, it, you just kind of feel, it, it comes off the comedy for a moment and it is kind of just painting a, a historical picture of the atrocity. Um, which, I mean, could be for all intents and purposes, I don't know, could be very, very much intentional that the creator of this film wanted us to not just forget the indifferences that some of these very powerful men had led to just people being senselessly killed and the power that they had, had wielded on, on their basically subjects, um, forced them to act and say and do terrible things, uh, or even just senseless things (laughs) like the beginning of the movie where the director pops out of the the recording booth and like tells everyone to sit the hell down because they had to record the whole thing over again. That is funny, but it comes from a place of of incredible oppression. And it is not tragedy plus time. It is just senseless tragedy that is comedy. It is comedy in the moment. And even people there, I think, and, and they don't show it. The actors don't show it. They don't show, like, they don't show themselves laughing that, that much, ex- except for when they're telling terribly tasteless jokes around Stalin's dinner party. But the people in the room still are, like, I think understand the silliness of the occasion especially when the pian- pianist in the in the beginning of the film asks for a bunch of money um and then goes ahead and writes that crass note towards stalin so i think a lot of people are, are in on the silliness the atrocity and the comedy and that adds to the whole experience it's multifaceted i, I think a challenge also is and, and and i'm not sure like i don't i don't want to sound like i'm pinning blame on the directors because i understand that it's a film and you have like an hour and a half with which to do things, but that it compresses a lot of historical facts and also kind of muddles things up and it turns, I mean, it's, it's a fiction. It's not a documentary. So like the scene you were describing isn't exactly what happened. And, you know, like, uh, like Khrushchev's rise to power didn't occur overnight. It happened over a period of months. I mean, it's, it's like some of these things I, I I looked up after the movies because I was curious, like what was it accurate and what wasn't. The real story, and, yeah. And so, especially as a person who's not educated on Russian history, I f- I feel like unless you take the time to look into some of those things, you might get an inaccurate understanding, or like you might draw some of the wrong conclusions. Yeah. from what the movie is satirizing. And so, if you don't have that background, you might. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure like what, because it is hard to, you can't, you know, no, that's a good, that's say, a, watch this five hour documentary and then watch the movie. <laughs> that is a good <laughs> point to make that. No, that is a very good point to make because like, um, without going too much into detail, because I really don't want to, um, the new Aaron Sorkin movie about the trial of Chicago seven that's on Netflix that completely fucking misrepresents everybody and everything that happened in like that period of history. Um, well, are you telling me that Abby Hoffman is not a patriot? Uh, yeah, at the very end wow. of the movie, Abby Hoffman tells you to go vote. Um, well, I mean that happened. <laughs> I mean that does happen. Or Abby execute. That, that actually does happen at the, at the end of Borat too. But, uh, Abby Hoffman, <laughs> famous anarchist, tells you to go vote. Um, but um, but yeah. So I mean that was just like a quick example of what Noah was talking about. All right, now Borat too. No, no, no. no. I mean, um, like. <laughs> 
Um, well, I mean, for Bora too, like, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Okay. I'll talk about Bora. No, 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 no. The only thing I was, the only, Hector the, loves to vamp. No, no, no. He'll vamp on anything. No, no, no. The only thing. All I, right. Watch this. Bagels. I would. Okay. <laughs> 12 bar and C. Let's go. <laughs> um, there's actually a funny story about bagels, but I'll tell you guys after. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, 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 I'll tell you guys after because I don't want to say it here. Um, but for Bora to all right lamps. No, 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 no stop. Okay, sorry. <laughs> the episode ends. No, no, no. <laughs> for, no, we're at one twenty-two. Okay, yeah. yeah I mean, we're basically fun. at the end. I was gonna say for Bora two, assuming people have seen it, like my take is like it's Bora one is like better, but it's more dated compared to Bora two. I mean, for obvious reasons, like it's Bush era like stuff. But the thing about uh, but 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 with with Bora two. Um, even if it's like not as I guess good as the first one, it definitely has a better uh, like storyline. Bright one was extremely flimsy, but that, you know that wasn't the point. Bright two, it, that is sort of the point. But um, as far as like uh, like you know satire or like as far as like you know poking fun at like Trump era you know stuff, I think uh, in some respects it does do a good job. The fact that he was able to go into like Mike Pence's like that that Republican convention in like a Donald Trump suit with like a holding carrying a uh, Donkey Kong carrying a, a, a girl into like a, a room full of Republicans, uh, Trumpists, and Mike Pence. I, that is like a funny image. And then, oh, and then there's also the 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 whole like him dressing up as like what he views to be as a, a, a Jewish person, <laughs> even though he himself the real person is a Jew. That was a really really hilarious part. But um, <laughs> since that's like the most recent like I guess take on this on the Trump era. We were just talking about how it was hard to find good satire in the Trump era. Is Borat 2 just more of that trash, or is it a good attempt? It's a decent attempt. Uh, it's it's definitely more hit or miss than the first one. I think the first one was like, it was uh, pinpoint precision on a lot of things. What about um, Who is America? I, that's, that's the thing. Um, it did uh, help get a Georgian <laughs> yeah. House, House Representatives guy out of. Because the, the, the guy who like screamed yes, the N word. Yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. The, so the point, because like the 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 thing about Sasha Baron Cohen and like these sorts of the, his like format with like Borat, who is America, Borat Two, it's like you know being in a in, in some sort of caricature in order to allow people to like reveal their true power level in a sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> Right, and like you, that definitely happens in Borat One because he like uh, there's like the that that scene where he's talking with like this, like like uh, the head of like this like rodeo, and he's like talking about like the you know gay people and like how they're evil and bad and stuff like that. Like it's incredibly insane how that like how like you, he just says it to him, just like right there. He did like Borat doesn't he, like Sasha Baron Cohen doesn't have to say anything. He's just like unfiltered, yeah, unfiltered. Pours out. Um, so. This particular, I guess, type of like comedy of his, where he like allows people to, I guess, be unfiltered, to be comfortable around him, and allow like say all this stuff. I would say it's more of just like like the obvious show, putting up a mirror in front of America's face, and like this is who you are, right? But I don't know. I, I feel the issue with Borat too, though, is like it's it's highly edited, more so than the first one. It's it's made to be more theatrical. It's made to be more theatrical. Yeah, it is. But it's also because it's all the, 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 when I meant more edited, it's more like to get particular reactions out of people. Yeah, like the yeah. Giul- the Giuliani like scene at the very end. As much as like it is hilarious and fucking weird that he like you know you know did the stuff that he did. It's a it's, Drill's profile picture. <laughs> 
it's it's also like very edited so like it may or may not have been the case that like you know some of the stuff that he said could have been done like before like when he went into that room and like was trying to take off take off that mic and stuff so you know you can't we, you know we can't really know but like it's edited to make it seem that way so that's like i don't know i feel that's like a downside to to the movie a little bit well, there's somebody else that's scratching that itch nowadays, and that's Andrew Callahan. I was thinking the same. All thing. gas, no brakes, baby. Oh yeah, anyway. yeah. and he does. He, like he doesn't do caricatures. He just lets yeah. people are comfortable talking with him because he. Yeah, yeah. That that is an interesting thing that came out of 2020. Uh, I feel we can end it on like just like that note. I guess I don't know. I mean, I I, I came. In- <laughs> Our Lord and Savior, Andrew. <laughs> I, I, I came into wanting to the like, only journalist <laughs> do this episode with you all just because um, like this stuff was like nagging to me because I also like feel similarly to Noah that there hasn't been like I, I think Death of Stalin was like maybe the closest in terms of like showing like the people associated with like a figure like Trump, I guess, like how, how I guess they interact and stuff and Borat with like more of just like showing like what America is at the moment, the current stage in its history. But there's like that nagging feeling like like comedy right now or, or like satirical comedy is like it's nowhere really to be found. And now that we're entering into a new era of the U.S. and by new, I mean, like going back in time to 2008, I guess, like what is there to be done with with comedy? Well, well, that's okay. So, so actually, before we end the episode, for you guys, I mean, like Noah, you did improv in in college, and and you and you are very knowledgeable about comedy, as as you've demonstrated in this episode. And you, Hector, who ran a humor magazine in college as well, and me, and you also (laughs) who exists. (laughs) I guess my question is, like, first of all, like, like, what exactly do you think is missing? And do you have any ideas of what satire could potentially be in the modern age? Like considering, I guess, all of the, um, I, I guess I call it sensitivities, the new sensitivities of people in general. Cause that is something that we've kind of alluded to is that like, yeah, there are a lot of comedians complaining that they're, that, that people don't think that they're funny anymore. Um, and, and, and that there are certain things that they're not allowed to joke about and all this kind of crazy stuff. Um, so, so like, I don't know, these are all a bunch of questions. Oh, yeah, Feel free yeah. to answer any of them. I, I mean, I, I obviously think that the whole, like, sensitivity stuff and stuff and, and, you know, the things that are coming out of that are very good. Mostly because, um, I mean, the alternative is that you just, like, treat people like pieces of crap. And, like, that's been going on for, like, hundreds of years. And mm. I feel like people have made lots of strides to get to the point where we are right now. And hopefully it gets much better. But I also think that, like, these sensitivities is also, like, good foundation to make even better satire. Because you can take something like, um, what's a cartoon? Uh, boondocks. You can take mm. the boondocks. Um, and, like, uh, I might be talking out of my ass because uh, I was watching the show in the summer for obvious reasons. Um, while I was revisiting it, I guess. And, like, there was, like, some th- thoughts that I was, like, growing in my head um, around it. And I'll try to grab it somehow. Um what I guess what I'm trying to say is like I'm, I don't know if I'll be able to like say it coherently, but there was like things about it where I was like watching people talk about the show and like you know can the Boondocks be made today? Sort of similar to the Blazing Saddles like argument, but talking about like people's sensitivities nowadays and how that actually like is good and like how even the creator of the Boondocks like also like had made comments on 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 this very fact that people not like should be aware of these sensitivities because it would only help them understand and communicate with people 
I, I think basically understanding is the the big takeaway for me here because when you when you don't have it and you just like throw shit at the wall willy nilly. I mean, yeah, you're going to offend some people, but you're not going to get at whatever it is. You're not making a point. Yeah, sometimes you are making a point, but it's not, like, maybe the point, or maybe it's not... You're not taking a step back and seeing, like, all the stuff that's connected to each other, in a sense. I don't know. I, I think, like, with, with the strides that are being made with, like, I guess, like, the LGBTQ community, with um, minorities, that I think that over, over some time, and hopefully sooner, there are going to be some, you know, great satires that come out of it that capture their these experiences and like basically allows people that don't have these experiences to understand these people Un- like, to me understanding is, is is basically the name of the game uh, that's f- as far as sensitivities or at least my take on that as far as like what comes next um or at least what could be done i think people like i i, I think yeah like my, my main frustrations has been just like people uh when they make fun of Trump and like people like Trump um, or even like his followers and stuff, it's just very like surface level shit, uh, like orange man bad or just like oh look at what he did in the news or what he tweeted. Like that's not getting at the fact that like you know he's still like using his power to like still continue to wage war in like I don't know uh, like Syria or got the kids into cages that are still there. The like antagonism towards Muslims, all that stuff doesn't. Um, direct any attention towards those. Yeah, things. and it also it also won't go away with Trump either. Right, exactly, um, and that's and because because as we love to point out, Biden, <laughs> Biden and I mean, Obama were the ones who built the cages in the first place. Say, say yeah. something good. Like a lot of the policies of the Trump administration will be reversed. That ones. Mm, are you sure? Uh, are you sure about that? Climate accords. Okay, that one. Yeah, yeah. But like, I'm not Boom. sure how many well, of well, them. I mean, be, I mean, right? he'll join. Yeah, I mean, like he'll join the the Paris Climate Agreement, which is a good thing. But yeah. uh, so we all but, we all know that Biden is a moderate. But the, right, we're not but the expecting. Whole, but the whole like things. getting there by 2050 is like still also pretty not good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that aside. That aside. Hadrian like hit the nail on the head. Like the the, the 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 thing about Trump and like like his followers and stuff like that. Like it's there's the obvious whole like it's a symptom of what was underlying in America to begin with. Like all this stuff isn't gonna like go away because Trump is gonna leave office. It's still gonna be there, and I think that's what satire in the near future should be directed at the fact that these problems persist even when you have this like proto-fascist like guy come in and take power in office and then and then i guess subsequently leaves it's still going to be there it's not it's not him it's it's yeah you know it's about the people eating uh, brunch outside of novartis and they're like you know there's like 10 more homeless people here this time <laughs> you know like <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's like that's the satire we want to see in the Misty binary. just saved satire. <laughs> Bam. All right. What what is uh what are your thoughts, Noah? No, I, I 100% agree with what you just said. I I, I the satire isn't Trump, it's that the society we live in a society. <laughs> but 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 that American society can produce, you know, such a thing is is what should be the object of comedy. And and I hope that, you know, and I think that part of that depends on a well-educated public. And so, like, a good democracy, I think good democracy, or a good comedy depends on, you know, a well-educated body of people understanding, you know, what's going on in the world. Um, I was just reminded of something interesting that I did have to say about the death of Stalin, which it's kind of a theme of the movie. Um, and I think it's also, like, relevant to our current 
day society or whatever. The way the way that I think about this um, versus how it's portrayed in the movie is a little bit different. Like what what the the way I think about it is like the failure for like the sort of ruling class to reproduce properly, and that's kind of shown in the death of Stalin in in a certain way that's sort of different from how we experience it as Americans, but like is is kind of in a similar vein where where like. Because Stalin was a totalitarian dictator, it was not in his best interest to have people like, uh, you know, second in command who were smarter and more cunning than he was, because that meant that they had the power to sort of overtake him. And so that kind of caused a bit of a power struggle and a lot of, oh shit, what are we supposed to do now that may not have happened had Stalin been sort of uh, surrounded by like a sort of like committee of people who were like equally as smart as he was or any of that kind of thing. Like his, you know, one one of the big things is that his second in command, Malenkov is like completely weak, incompetent, indecisive. Like he, he is not a good head of state. Um, and that was probably done on purpose so so that, you know, so that Stalin's second-in-command couldn't stage a coup while he was still alive. And I think about that sort of, like, failure to find uh, succession a lot. I, I think about it in much more benign cases, like, uh, like you know, for example, in my experience in college, like, being part of various student groups and, and of course, uh, being heavily involved in, in dorm politics, um, thinking about... Uh, who will take up the mantle of whatever position in the future? Like I thought, like I, I thought about that with, uh, with yeah, with, with the dorm politics stuff of like who is gonna like go through the ordeal of dealing with the fucking busybodies, <laughs> um, and, and and then you know think I I also thought about it with the magazine where it was like oh there was a bunch of seniors working on the magazine so who's gonna who's gonna carry on the magazine in the future? I wonder if that question's been answered yet. Um, <laughs> um, but then that sort of thing um, also kind of you, you see you see it in other places too like you look at it even with Trump's kids um, like Donald Trump Jr. does not have the same charisma that his father has I don't know he's, he's kind of a hunk <laughs> You can also see this in in Stalin's son, like uh, Vasily. Uh, yeah. He's just like a total drunkard and like completely incoherent and just like a com- like total comic relief character. I, I've I've read some things about about Stalin's son that that I don't think I should repeat on the podcast. Um, that that, what that, were that, they? that his dad said about him. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah. All right. Education is on the downturn. All right. It's not doing so hot. No. <laughs> Uh, so does that mean that satire will follow education? Discuss. Quite possibly. I, I certainly hope not. I, I mean, I, education has been on the down for a while and isn't getting better anytime soon, as far as I can tell. I don't know. Are we living in a failed state? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Tune in Who next knows? week and find out. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't have a clean answer for you, but I, I definitely am scared about the state of both our democracy and our or comedy coming to you Ocracy. live in 20 years from South Canada. Oh. It's the exit tangent <laughs> quarantine. I, 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 also, I thought you were going to uh, bring up idiocracy. And I think that's what I thought that was going to do. Oh. Yeah, but, but 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 also it's like you know we were just I guess lamenting the fact that satire isn't really that good or interesting anymore, uh, or it's hard to find good satire, um, and so that may be part of it is that like because there's been this sort of dis. Uh, investment or whatever the opposite of investment is, um, divestment <laughs> Dearth, from love. education um, over the past several years mm-hmm. due to you know various austerity measures. It's, it's all because of that defund the schools movement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a movement. I think people just do it. 
Yeah, people just. I, I mean, that happened in Texas, right? Like they defunded yeah. the shit out of education, like during the recession period, and uh, here we are now. And Rick Perry, he, he said he wanted to when he was president. He, oh. One of the two that he could remember getting rid of was oh. the Department of Education. Yeah, he at least remembered that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! It was like education, commerce, and uh, uh, <laughs> and then he stopped stopped running for president. <laughs> I think I think, so. I think that's good. Yeah. I think like I got out of this as much as I possibly could.